Well, I'm not Simon. I'm Caroline. <laughs> but um, I wanted to. We, we wanted to share some fun news um, that we've got coming up this week with you guys. Um, in October, Simon, in his birthday card from someone, had a, an amazing prophetic word about getting to meet with people um, right at the tops, uh, the top of government, and um, getting to connect with those kind of people. And then a couple of weeks ago, um, Simon read out this email and said, "I think maybe this is like a scam." Um, but anyway, we, it, it wasn't a scam, and we've been invited to um, meet the Prime Minister on Tuesday. Um, I know, amazing. So exciting. She's, I know, it's awesome, isn't it? She's got, um, she's got a reception to celebrate Shrove Tuesday, and um, so I think we're probably going to go and have some pancakes <laughs> with the Prime Minister. So that's really fun. And um, we've also got, um, we've been invited by our local MP to come to Parliament first and have tea with him. So we're just so excited. It's a major adventure for us. And um, we just wanted to ask you guys to pray for us and also just to encourage you that if you've got prophetic stuff, if you've got prophetic words, this breakthrough for us, it's like a breakthrough for all of us. We're all family. Mm. And just keep pushing through. There's hope and joy and excitement and adventure for all of us um, together that we're constantly just stepping into more and more and more. That's great. Well done, Tony. Really good. Very good. Thank you, Caroline, for showing that. And yeah, I, was, I thought it was like those, you know, they get those emails of, there's someone who's got diamonds for you. Uh, I thought it was one of those. I was like, seriously? I thought someone wanted money. But no, it is a genuine, they just want us to go and eat, which is fantastic. I can do that. I'm qualified. Although I'm a little bit, I did do some research and apparently, not much research on uh, receptions at number 10, but the Queen's um, events, which she has her summer parties and stuff, the average guest eats 14 sandwiches, cakes and ice creams, which made me realise somebody is counting. Somebody is counting. <laughs> As I'm cutting it, tucking into my pancake, I'm going to be thinking, somebody is counting how many of these I'm having, so I shall, I shall av on average, 14 on average, that's frightening, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so thank you for your prayers, and who knows what God will open up in terms of uh, opportunities for us as a community. It's a huge privilege to, to represent you guys in that. So, let us... Um, take a moment to thank him. Father, we just thank you for not just that opportunity, but I know many others, uh, the things that are happening with the project and many other businesses and uh, uh, things that our community are involved in. We just thank you, God, for doors that are opening. You promised us that you had called us to be a blessing to this nation and the nations, and we really are seeing that happening, and we just receive that uh, from the local, from the, the a homeless person we can help on the streets to the having influence in government in this nation and others. We just thank you. It's a privileged God, and we recognize you are the Lord of the, the whole earth, and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and we want to serve you faithfully wherever you take us, wherever you lead us, whether it be small or whether it be great. We thank you that you are the same God and that you have the same love for each one of us yes. on that journey. In your name, amen. 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 Well, um, one of the uh, most powerful pictures of, of family that I've kind of been a, aware of in my life, of family and community, um, is from the, the, the book, The Lord of the Rings. 
which um, many of you have seen the movies, some of you will have read the books, some of you will have started reading the books and given up. Um, and the, the Lord of the, the Rings tells a story of uh, a, a group of, the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, tells a story of a kind of disparate group who are kind of called together for a particular journey, a particular task that they have to do. And it's kind of their relationship forged over many uh, adventures uh, is from being people who don't really like each other to those that are, are connected and committed and actually would lay down their lives for one another. It's a powerful picture and kind of most exemplified by the relationship by Fro- with, uh, Fro- between Frodo and his uh, rather slow but very faithful uh, servant called Sam. And there's this one scene where Frodo realises he's got to carry on the journey alone. And he says, I, I, I've, Sam, I've got to carry on this journey on my own. And, and Sam says to him, you will go on your own, Mr. Frodo, and I'm going with you. Which is just a, a rather good impression, I felt. <laughs> most, of my, uh, most of my preparation for this Sunday went into that. And uh, it's, all, it's all downhill from here. Uh, <laughs> And it's a, just a powerful picture, isn't it, of a of, of friendship and relationship that is committed to, to one another. Made more powerful when you realise that Tolkien, who wrote the stories, was an orphan himself. And so his father died when he was three, his mother when he was 12. And so he and his brothers and sisters were orphaned and were raised by uh, family members and, and friends. And so out of that backdrop of orphanness, of being a sense of isolation and abandonment, he writes this powerful picture of community, of fellowship, of friendship, of family being forged together through this, through this story. And, and this kind of theme of orphanness is throughout our society, throughout our world, throughout our history, as a community, as a race, it's, um, uh, you know, the, I think the, the estimates are, and it's hard to, to know exactly, but the estimates are there are 18 million double orphans in the world. That's both parents have died, and there's 153, 153 million who've lost one parent or the other. So the number of orphans, over 200 million orphans in the world, that sense of orphanness is endemic in the world. And and yet it's not even uh, that tragic though it is, isn't the end of the story, because actually it's the, the history of mankind. Our story, mankind's story, is one of orphanness. We were created in God's image, and that there's a picture right at the beginning of the scriptures of, of Adam uh, being formed by God, the first man, and God breathed his life into him. That's how Adam was. So if you were Adam, if you picture yourself there, you open your eyes, the first thing you see is the face of God. The face of your father breathing life into you. Quite an amazing uh, experience, I imagine, for Adam to see the eyes of love pouring love, pouring life into him and him them coming to life. And yet, through one thing or another, Adam rebels, is separated from his God, his father, and becomes the first orphan to give birth to a race, a generation, a people who are orphans. And, and we all feel it, don't we? We all feel that orphanness, the sense that the world is not quite right, that we're alone, that there's a, a hunger on the inside uh, for connection. And that desperation, you see a, a world ravaged by the orphan spirit, that sense of isolation and loneliness and desperation. And, you know, out into that, Scene Luke 3, we, we read, says this, Now when all the people were baptised, and when Jesus also had been baptised, he was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with, with you I am well pleased. 
You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And if you were there, I imagine you would be thinking, well, who, is, who is this guy? I'm a carpenter, kind of manual labourer, hasn't really preached or done any miracles or anything, and yet at this initial kind of point before he's done anything or achieved anything of much significance, the father says to him, you're my beloved son, with you I am well pleased into the core of his being, into the core of his identity. You, you see, don't you, this, it's like Adam again. <laughs> it's God breathing into the new Adam. The second Adam, the same life-giving spirit, goes into uh, Christ. And, and, and of course, we have the picture of communion, which we take regularly as a community. And the same picture is this, that we take the bread and the juice and we take it into ourselves. And as we take it into ourselves, it's absorbed. In, you know, three hours later, someone said, I want my juice and my bread back. You say, it's kind of been absorbed. And the picture in the scripture is this, that you, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. That you, are, you cannot be separated from Christ. When you decide to follow Jesus, you are born again. You're born into a new family. You're born a new human being and you're now in Christ. So when he went into the water in baptism, you went into the water with him. And when he came out and heard the words, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased, God was saying that to you in Christ, which is quite phenomenal you don't seem that impressed but for me that's the revelation of it is quite striking that when we realize that God calls us his beloved his beloved and he breathes that same spirit into us and that he says that he is pleased with us it's quite striking to that God himself would call himself our father and that he would say he's pleased and and it's been a real journey for me and this morning, just want to take a little time to talk about that journey of what does it mean to be God's beloved and how does that impact our service on this Sunday? What does it mean? And, and it started for me um, many years ago, but was kind of crystallized in one moment where I was in a church similar to this and during worship, I came forward uh, uh, to, uh, came to find a seat and as we sat down, there was a boy um, who had cerebral palsy and he um, was very, very disabled, was in one of those special chairs with kind of the head pieces to hold his head up, couldn't even hold his own head up. We sat down and uh, just as the worship began, I stood, kind of forgot the people around me. And then as I did, uh, halfway through the worship, I went to sit down, moved some stuff in my chair. And as I sat down, I noticed that this boy who once had been in his chair at the beginning of the meeting was now being held by a man who I later found out with his grandfather. And he was held there like this. And he was, a, he was a large lad. He was probably 12, 13. And he had his head here. And the grandfather was looking in his eyes. And he was saying, God loves you and I love you. You're a real special boy. God loves you and I love you. You're a real special boy. God loves you and I love you. You're a real special boy. And this boy could do nothing. I mean, he, he couldn't even hold the drool in his mouth. It was just like pouring out onto this napkin. And as I watched this scene, he didn't just say it three times. He, I mean, it, I don't know how long it was. I felt like it was like forever, but maybe it was only three or four minutes. I watched, he just said it over and over and over. God loves you and I love you. You're a real special boy. And this boy just smiled up into his grandfather's eyes. And as I watched this, feeling like I was intruding, but unable to step away from it, I was, something just snapped on the inside. <laughs> And I just began to weep from the deepest part of my being. And the reason was this. I realized that this boy, unless outside of a miracle, would do nothing with his life. He couldn't even look after himself, let alone serve anybody else. 
and yet he was loved. He was loved by God, and he was loved by his grandfather. He was loved outside any performance. He could not perform. He couldn't do anything, and yet he was loved. And something snapped in me as I, from the, the, thing, the truths that I'd always known, sunk to a deeper level as I realized that so much of my life had been about trying to please God or serve God or make God happy in some way, and even the same with other people. But actually, that was a faulty foundation, and that the core of our beings has to be this we are God's beloved. <laughs> We are God's beloved. In fact, a man named Thomas Merton said this, you are the one loved by Christ. This is the foundation of the true self. You are the one loved by Christ. This is the foundation of the true self. Because, of course, the world, life, would teach us that we've got to add things to ourselves to make ourselves acceptable, to make ourselves pleasing to people around, to God, to others. Uh, and the, the danger can be that those things, career or family or uh, ability to make people laugh, small or big, whatever they are, when we build on that foundation, ultimately it's unstable <laughs> because things can come and can go and jobs can come and go and ability to perform can come and go. And if you build on it, sooner or later it will be shaken because these things cannot stand and ultimately what survives is this reality. The rock on which you and I can build our lives is this. We're the ones loved by Christ. This is the foundation of the true self. And when we get that, that we are his beloved and start to build on that, it changes everything. Just, just a, a, a few things. It cuts right at the heart of rejection. This is what Romans 9 says. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews, also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hos to Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. There is, a, there is a rejection, as Wendy spoke about last week, the fear of it, the rejection that will steal and rob our joy in our very lives. That's at the heart of the human condition, gets broken, gets severed, gets cut off when we realize that we're beloved, that God was the one who should have rejected us, who could have rejected us. We were not his people. We had rejected him. We were aliens to him. We were estranged from God. And he says, you who are not my beloved, I will call you my beloved. It was his choice. It was his initiative. When we were in Christ, when Christ was baptized and came out of the water, when we were in him, it happened 2,000 years before any of us were born. There's nothing we can do to change that. You are God's beloved. And the rejection you experience from the world around, the bullying, the harassment, whatever it is, and from whoever it is from, disappears in its power when we realize, no, I'm loved by God. I'm the beloved of God himself, the most powerful and important being in the universe. Loves me. <laughs> Loves me. I have significance in his eyes. It cuts at the heart of rejection. And, and it enables us to give and receive challenge. 1 Corinthians 4 says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. You know, you, you might be as prickly as a porcupine when someone challenges you. But when you realize that you are loved, that you are beloved of God, suddenly your behavior that might need to be changed can be challenged because you're no longer dependent on being accepted because of your behavior. You're, you're accepted because you're loved in Christ. You're the, you're the beloved of God. And so therefore, 
all those other things, the things that you do wrong and the things that others want to challenge you about, suddenly just fade away. And, and, it, and it cuts at the foundation of our freedom for sin. 1 Corinthians 10 says, God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. With the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Notice that right at Paul's challenge to get rid of the sin in your life, he says, my beloved, my beloved, you are loved. At your worst moment, at your most broken moment, at the moment you're most ashamed of, that moment he loved you. Sometimes I'll get people to close their eyes and say, picture your worst, most embarrassing, sin-filled moment. Picture yourself there. I won't do it to you because I like you. Picture yourself there. Picture yourself in that moment. That's the moment he loved you. That's the moment when he said, you're not my beloved, but I call you my beloved. Yes. It was in that moment. You know, no, for me, for many years, battling with pornography, ashamed, living under the shame and the power of it. I mean, the, the toxic power of that stuff, which is being released all over the planet, destroying lives, destroying families, destroying... I mean, it was all over my life. Years of it. Never told anyone. Living under shame. And ultimately, I got to the point where I couldn't carry on as I was. I, the images that I was seeing, the memories were just too strong. Even in worship, I would just see these horrible images of the stuff I'd seen, just living with shame, and I just got desperate. I thought, I can't carry on living like this. So I found the nicest, kindest person I could think of in the church. And I went, I, went, I said, I need to talk to you about something. He said, not now, come to my house tonight. So I went over to his house. And for the first time, I told another human being the shame that I'd lived with for so many years. And instead of the rejection that I was expecting, do you know what he did? He put his arm around me and he said, my poor boy, my poor boy. And then he just began to pray. And it was God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness leads us to change. We expect rejection from him, but instead he says, my beloved, flee from sin. My beloved, He's not angry with us because we sin. He's angry with us because we're destroying ourselves. And we love the thing that we're destroying. And so that, that love, that anger that we feel, God is angry because of sin. Well, he's angry because of the destruction sin brings about on the planet. But he wants you to run into his arms. It's not something that should cause us to flee from him. It's something that should cause us to flee from the sin that we're struggling with. God is calling us to it. It strengthens us when we're discouraged. 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Or when we're under trial, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as if something strange was happening to you. When we're discouraged, when you're at the end of yourself, when you think, has all of this been a waste of time? Remember, he says, my beloved, nothing is wasted in the Lord. Nothing is wasted in the Lord. In the Lord, your labour is not in vain. When you're facing the trial, when you feel like, has God abandoned me? Does God even know I'm going through this? Peter says, my beloved... <laughs> The beloved of God. He has not forgotten you. Don't, think, don't be surprised by the trials of this life. They don't demonstrate that God doesn't care. The fact that he's with you in the trials demonstrates that he does care. You are his beloved. 
And that even though our circumstances might not change, our identity has. There's a, a, a family in the church that bring a, a young girl to church. She, she comes from a, a fairly broken background. Um, but through one thing or another, they, they bring her along and have brought her for, for years. And I was chatting to her one Sunday and um, just have seen her over the years kind of growing in, in God. She knew nothing, came from no experience. And just as the team have taught her faithfully, just amazing. I mean, one time I chatted, I said, what did you do this morning? She said, oh, we were, we were praying for the sick this morning. I said, oh, was it fun? She said, it was the first time I've ever prayed for someone on my own. I said, what happened? She said, oh, they got healed. <laughs> can I go and pray? Can I go and, can I go and pray? I was like, oh, go on then. <laughs> you see, her circumstances haven't changed, but her identity has changed. She's still in the same family, still in the back, same, facing the same challenges, but her identity has changed. And uh, there's a story in the scriptures of a, a slave, a man called Onesimus, and Paul writes to his master. Onesimus fled his master for one reason or another, and then Paul led him to Christ, and he sends him back, and he writes this to his master, who we know. You might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more, as a, more than a slave. He's now a beloved brother. Who am I? said Thomas Merton. I'm the one loved by Christ. This is the foundation of the true self. You are his beloved. And when that sinks into our hearts, into our spirits, it enables us to endure. It enables us to persevere. It enables us to grow. It enables us to change. It enables us to stand on a solid, rock-solid foundation that will not be moved. Let's just take a moment to just pray, shall we? Just to receive, and then we'll talk some more. Why don't we just stand together? You can sit them for a while. In this series, we've called it Fresh Fire. We're saying, God, take the things that you've done in us and take them to a whole deeper level. So come, Holy Spirit. Why don't you just put your hand on your heart? You might have done this before. This might be the first time. But just just say with me, Who am I? I am the one loved by Christ. This is the foundation of the true self. Who am I? I am the one loved by Christ. This is the foundation of the true self. Thank you, God. Just right across the room, just take this deeper. Take it deeper, Lord. Let the, the challenges, the battles, the lies that would pull us from this truth just be erased now. And we just receive it at a whole deeper level. Thank you, God. In one sense, we're all like that cerebral palsy boy. We can do nothing, really, of any significance. But we are loved. All of our works, all of our efforts, really, they fade away. But we are loved. We are your beloved. That when you see us, you see us in Christ. And we just receive the security in the trials, in the storm, just some, just you're right in the midst of the trial right now. If that's you, just raise a hand. You needed to hear this this morning. 
you're in the trial, you're in the battle. Come, Holy Spirit, you're being bullied, you're being rejected. There's just a fire burning around you. Come, Holy Spirit, take this deeper. Take it so deep that that it has to come out, that it has to flow out. Take it deeper, God. Take it deeper. We just pray right now. Let the revelation of the belovedness of God sink in to the depths of your spirit. You are God's beloved. You are loved by the most powerful, most significant being in the universe. And he loves you. And he calls you. And he says, I'm pleased with you. My delight is on you. It says in Zephaniah that he rejoices over you with singing and dancing and celebration. (laughs) Come, Spirit of God, break off now every lie that would hold us back. If there's someone near you with a hand in the air, just just take it, guys with guys, ladies with ladies, let's just take a moment. Perhaps you're battling with rejection. Perhaps you're struggling with an area of sin. Perhaps you're under trial in other ways. Perhaps you just have a background of, of a history of family that just feels orphaned. Just raise a hand if that's you. If you feel the, the power of the Spirit needs to come on me now. <laughs> I'm hungry. Just raise your hand high. And we're just going to pray for one another. Come, Spirit of God, right across the room by your power in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Here he comes, the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Enough for you and enough to give away. Thank you, God. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. You are his beloved. Lord God, soak this right into our DNA. Soak this right into our spirits when we're cut and when we're hurt when we're wounded this is what would come out this is what would flow out the love of God would flow out of us soak us marinate marinate for a minute in his love We just thank you, Father, for the spirit of revelation. This is, this is not just information. This is the spirit of revelation that's falling right now across the room. The spirit of revelation of the love of God. Open our eyes to see it. Neither Let us experience the width and the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God. God, saturate us as a people with this. Take us deeper. Thank you, Father. Take us out of the shallows into the deep end of the love of God. Let the the fast-flowing spirit, river of your spirit, catch us up, we pray. Thank you, God. Just take a moment. Why don't you just turn to a person near you and just take a moment to pray this in if you feel comfortable doing that if you feel happy to do that just turn to someone near you and just say just pray it in just speak over them you are the beloved of God you are loved by God this is the foundation of yourself nothing can be added or can be taken away from that reality 
Wow. Let your joy come. Let your life come. Let the rejection of years be washed off. If someone, even this week, you've been told, I, someone said to you, I hate you, just raise a hand if that's you. Even this week, you were told that. Either, I think it's by text message. Someone texted you, they hate you. Just raise a hand if that's you. Just felt like God was wanting to break those words off of you. Just wave, wave at me so I can see you if that's you. Thank you, Father. Someone else was told, you make me sick. Just the rejection that's swirling around people's lives is just tremendous. But the love of God, the belovedness of God comes to soak you and to fill you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Soak it in, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just take our seats? So good, isn't it? Just to refresh ourselves in him. And um, just to kind of finish the, the thought for a few more minutes. The, the, the end game is once I understand that I am God's beloved, suddenly the next revelation is, well then, so is PJ. Amen. <laughs> and, and, and Sue and, and Wendy and PK and... and and, and Mel and, uh, and Lisa and, and, son, and Alex and suddenly the revelation starts to come, doesn't it? Well, if I am loved by God with my flaws and faults, I won't use you again, PJ, as an example, then... Uh, <laughs> then, then so are others. And if this love has found me, then maybe this love that's in me needs to find others. And if it is his kindness that led me to repentance to change, then maybe instead of my harshness, it might be my kindness that leads others to the same place. This is what 1 Timothy 6 says, Rather they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. The revelation that I'm in Christ must be met with a revelation that, is, that so is all of my family. So is all of my family in Christ. And the love that God has for me, he has for them. And Ephesians 2 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do God's good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. A few thoughts on that. You are God's workmanship. You're not just beloved. You are God's workmanship. You are unique. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are unique. You are so unique. You are unique in a good way. I don't know how you meant it. In a good way. You are un- That's your own stuff. You- in a good way, you are unique. You know, the basic building block of... Of, of, um, of you is, is DNA. 
and your DNA can, re, uh, can connect to each other in 10 to the power of 2.4 billion different ways. Which, if you were to write that number down with all the noughts, would be a one with 370,000 miles of noughts after it, even with a very small font. You would need a piece of paper 370,000 miles long to write down the number of unique combinations, which is why when you bump into a guy who looks like Ed Sheeran in the supermarket, you think, wow, he looks like Ed Sheeran, because we're unique, and even identical twins are not really identical. They are unique, and you are the same. And you have been created in Christ. You have been created in Christ. And when uh, we had our first child, my daughter, Kaya, who's 16 now, we had a very special light in the house. It wasn't the hall light. It wasn't the kitchen light, although that's important. It wasn't the lounge light, although that's important. There was a very special light, and it was the light in her room. Because when she was kind of two, if that light went out in the middle of the night, Daddy! (laughs) Daddy, it's dark in here. Where are you? I'm in here, come and find me. No matter what time of the night, there would be the cry. It, I, if, I didn't care about any other bulb in the house. But that bulb had regular maintenance. It had a whole service plan. Just to make sure that that bulb never, that bulb never failed. You have a unique light. It might be small. It was the smallest light in our house. It might be small. But your light is in the darkness around you. Unless it shines, that darkness stays as dark. But when your light shines, it lights up the world around you. You are created uniquely. You're not just beloved. God himself formed you. And all of us have a part to play. All of us have a significance because we were created uniquely to blot out our little bit of darkness around us, to bring light to the lives of those around us. And And you're created in Christ Jesus, Paul says, to do good works which God prepared for you. I I remember one summer uh, we had lunch with a family numbers of years ago and we went over there and uh, they had a very disabled uh, child and we had lunch with them and during the lunch we began to talk about what are your different gifts. And as we kind of went around the circle I noticed that um, because he couldn't speak, the, the son, no one had asked him what his gifts were. And it got to that awkward point where I thought, do I Do I ask? Um, would that be awkward? Because I don't, I don't know what he can do. I don't know him. I don't know what his gifts would be. And I just don't want an awkward moment. But then I thought, well, the Bible says everyone has a gift. <laughs> does everyone mean everyone or does it not mean everyone? So I said, what's, what's Luke's gift? And as quick as a flash, without even thinking, his mother said, oh, well, Luke has the gift of joy. She said, wherever he is, joy is in the room. People laugh, they smile, introverts become extroverts. He, he just brings life to the room. And, he, and she said, he's an evangelist, no question. He gathers people. He said, I, she said, it's awkward. People feel like they know me, but I don't know them at all. Often I'll be out, there'll be a crowd of four or five around Luke. He just gathers people in. He is an evangelist. And he brings joy wherever he goes. And we took a time as a, as a family just to pray for one another, to pray for our gifts and to pray that Luke would be the, all the evangelist that God had called him to yes. be. Yeah. I went home from that lunch powerfully impacted because when God says everyone, he means everyone. <laughs> he doesn't see with our eyes. He doesn't look with our eyes. He has given everyone a gift. You've been created. And it, it says 
You've been created to do good works. And, and that, that phrase, good works, actually means kindness and generosity. You've been created for kindness. You could paraphrase Ephesians 2 to read it as like this. You've been created in Christ Jesus to a lifestyle of generous and kind behaviour. You've been made for that. And, and more than that, notice it says, again, going back to the theme we picked up at the beginning, you have been created in Christ, which means that he is in you and you are in him. And so when you serve, you serve like him. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Give my life as a ransom for many. When we serve, we serve like Jesus, and we, it's as if we are serving Jesus. That's how powerful this truth is. I heard a story of a, a mother uh, preparing lunch and then during the lunch, her two boys, Ryan and, and Jack, were not very happy and they both wanted the last slice of pizza and so she decided it was time for a moral lesson and she said, listen, if Jesus were here, boys, he would say, let my brother have the last piece of pizza and Ryan quickly said, Jack, you play Jesus. <laughs> Which... Which is pretty much how we all feel. <laughs> but Jesus gave us a revelation, didn't he, that sonship is the same as service. Yes. That the more we step into our sonship, the more we realise that we are called to be servants. And just as we land, it, it, it does so much to us. When we understand we are beloved by God and that we are called and crafted we are his workmanship. Another word for that is his masterpiece. The actual word means his poem. When you realise you are his poem, you're uniquely his poem. When we realise that, it, it, it removes some of the negative stuff around service. For example, the drivenness, I have to serve to be significant, becomes I am significant so I can serve. <laughs> it removes that side of stuff, but it also removes some of the stuff that would hold us back. You know, the entitlement. I deserve a break. Let someone else serve. Well, one or two weeks or one or two months is a break. One or two years, that's a lifestyle. That's a lifestyle. Or the, or the beneath us feeling. I'm just too important to serve. The, the reality and the truth is we're too important not to serve. Or the impact, or the, the kind of inward focus. I'm just too busy to serve. I've got a lot going on. I'm just too busy to serve. And the reality being, actually, we're all too busy to serve. The argument would mean that nobody would serve anybody because ultimately we could all consume ourselves with our, our own stuff. That argument falls flat. Or, or the newcomer argument, I'm too new, let the old timers do the service. The reality is you were created for good works that the old timers can't do because you were created to do them. You were created for them. And then the old timer argument, which is I've done my time, it's time for someone else. And the good news being, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And also there's no retirement plan in God. And the, the false humility of, I'm not gifted enough to serve, becomes the realisation that I'm God's masterpiece, that he has given me gifts, that everyone has a gift. Or the commitment, I'm not fully committed yet, I'll wait until I'm committed, then I'll serve, becomes the realisation that, as Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's just not talking about money. It's talking about time, investment. The reality is commitment doesn't grow to those who don't serve. Where it grows is those who commit to one another, serve one another, and then suddenly we find friendship and love and commitment to one another. Or even just pure the thoughtlessness that would rob us 
I didn't realize it took so much to lead or build a church, a community. And you know what? When I was a kid, we had some amazing technology in our house. We had a bin that was never full. It just emptied itself. It was never, ever full. We had, you know, sometimes I'd go to bed, there'd be washing up, a huge pile of washing up. I'd come down in the morning, it was just done. It just did itself. And, and it was quite amazing. And, and I had a laundry basket in my room, it would fill up, and then it would empty, and all my clothes would be tidied and cleaned and folded in my cupboard. And hot meals on the table, the food cupboard would restock itself. And then I became a parent myself. I didn't realize. Well, now you do. Welcome to family. I didn't realize there's much of an excuse, is it? When we realize who, how he has loved us, how he has given himself to us, and how he has called us to give ourselves to each other. You know, guys, we've got such a privilege here. We are building something beautiful for the Lord, but it's going to take all of us. We, the average church in the UK, certainly Church of England church, is 54 people. We have 150 kids every week out there. I'm not saying this to boast. So we have, in our kids' ministry, we have three times the number of the average church in the UK. What a privilege. What a responsibility God has given us to raise the next generation, to sow in seeds of life into their lives. Tens of people coming each week. What a privilege to welcome them, to host them, to put a chair out for them or part their cars, to show the same belovedness that God has shown for us. To complete strangers is the greatest act. We were complete strangers, and yet God called us his beloved. What a huge privilege it is to have such a vibrant ability to influence the world around, but it's going to take all of us. You're a masterpiece, you're God's poem, you're his song. Now sing your song, play your part, and live out the goodness of his belovedness in you. Amen.